0: Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. I am. I'm not filled with fear. I'm. I'm hydrated. Um, I'm feeling. I'm feeling cold and hydrated um, in preparation for this episode with my co-host Rebecca Botter. Hi, Rebecca. How are you?
1: Hi, Maddie. How are you?
0: I'm I'm feeling good. <laughs> Blessed be the maker. Okay, you know mm-hmm. um, so this week, real fast, we're talking about dune talking about dune. This has been an, a long a long episode coming. I've
1: been talking about doing a dune episode before so much happened. before we released an episode, Maddie was like, and we can do one on Dune, and, and we I've can been do one on Dune. I've been very like, you know, with um. You remember when you wanted to go back to sleep, so you turned on the Aristocats. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was. It's kind of like the equivalent of giving a kid an iPad. Yes. And with Maddie, I've been uh kind of going like, "Oh yes, oh uh, yes, that is oh, no- oh yes. What if we? What if we just wait?" What if we yeah. just wait until but, Dune 2 is going to be coming but out? But now,
0: and honestly, Rebecca, now, I feel like you coming. have been instrumental in the the Dune release getting pushed back. If I if I were venture venture to guess, um you single-handedly pushed back the release date so you would not have to do this, this episode with me. I it's like But maybe now they won't stay friends. <laughs> But now it's imminent. Now, uh, so close. We're recording this episode on February 20th. Mm -hmm. um, And so that means that the Dune premiere is less than two weeks away, which is Mm -hmm. very exciting. And I think this episode is going to have a different type of framework. I Mm -hmm. think Rebecca and I connect uh, on a twin flame level in so many capacities. And we are excited about the same things. But there are very specific places where Mm -hmm. that connection chasms. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really important. You know, a true mark of friendship is listening to your friend really explain to you uh why this thing that they're obsessed with is important to them and you sit and you listen and this
1: is my episode where that happens Rebecca will have her own episode where this happens and I'm saving I'm saving that card I'm I'm still not exactly sure what I want to save it for
0: I I don't think this is specific to Rebecca I do feel like Dune uh as a whole, is somewhat inaccessible and feels daunting and vast and weird, and I have prided myself in being able to explain Dune to many a friend, to sit with them through the the Dune watching process, um, and give to them a, a, a sort of a context for things that rejuvenates their love for the franchise, or or even just in. Uh,
1: ignites their love for the franchise. I respect the hell out of Dune. And I I got to the point, um, we watched 20 minutes of it together. We did. My first trip to LA. Um, And I remember just being like, yeah, I respect the hell out of Dune. But I think I associate it with my brothers. Mm. I love my brothers. But both of them being like, "Um, uh, are you going to read Dune? Are you going to read Dune before... Dune comes out, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not. And this, gonna is, read Dune. this is. And they're like
0: someone telling you that you don't have to read Dune in order to enjoy Dune. You, you just, just have, have to, to listen, listen to, to this, this podcast this episode. episode. <laughs> no,
1: I will make it so you can you can enjoy Dune Part Two. Anyone um, can um Dune Part Two, or as I call it, Dune Two. Um, D- yeah, <laughs> Dune, <laughs> Dune Two. Um okay. um okay,
0: Rebecca. So before we before we just like hop on into that hot, hot desert, tell me
1: about your lonely girl moment of the week. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. so it started two weekends ago. My weekends are Tuesday, Wednesdays, and I just got this like need, this Maddie mm. gust went through me. Maddie moved all of my furniture about a like a year and a half ago.
0: It's my favorite ever- thing to do. Yeah. And it I was one of those moving things. Moving
1: furniture. Where again, I think I like she was like, Can I move all the furniture? And I just remember being like, Yeah, okay. Uh, kind of it was kind of a dune, a dune. Yeah. Moment. This, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she did a great job. So I said, Great, I will keep it just like this. And um, I wanted to move my bedside table. And so I like was texting her and she was like, actually move it like this. And then as soon as I got my bed in this new position, I was like, I have to have a canopy. Yeah, I need a canopy. You need a canopy, and I I felt the same instinct about the disco ball in my living room, which is one of my favorite parts yes. of the apartment, to be honest. And um, and I just knew I needed a canopy. And there's something about waking up under your fifty dollar oh. tool canopy bed hanging yes. over you. And I was like, am I going to get annoyed with this? Because it is it is annoying to be to be frank. But on a list of things I love in my apartment, number one is my cat, yeah, and number two is my canopy. And unfortunately, yeah. the cat and the canopy Ooh. don't get along. I have a I have a big old scratch on my hand because Rosie tries to eat the canopy. So mm. I think sleeping under a canopy for just fulfilling a childhood fantasy of having a canopy bed is um, very lonely, girl. And I think so I, too. I think these are even if I incredibly lonely girl. Even if I took it down tomorrow, I, it was worth that fifty bucks. It really was.
0: I I had a canopy for a second, um, and it was the arrival of my two beautiful sons, one of mm-hmm. which is seated behind me at this very moment because of their insistence at its demise. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not want it there, but I understand. It's a giant cat toy.
1: And I should have known better. I knew uh, what I was getting myself into.
0: Yeah, my lonely girl moment of the week is uh, is uh, also somewhat in the same vein of like fulfilling fantasies and and sort of spending money that otherwise would be not worth it. I am in the dredges of of script writing and just writing in general. I I think that the writing process is rough. It's like rough and the way that I that I tend to write that helps me write is I often write in front of a mirror because oftentimes if you watch me writing, I'm making lots of facial expressions, I'm mouthing words. it's very embarrassing. I have to write in complete solitude with a mirror and um, sometimes even if a character is working, if there's a, a prop in a scene, I'll bring in something that resembles that prop because it helps me better understand like the movement and the dialogue of what the character is
1: doing, et cetera, et cetera. Very Disney animator. Up yes.
0: I feel, I feel like the more I'm immersed in whatever character I'm writing, the more I'm, I think it more like in, inspires.
1: Mm -hmm. um so how you said that was like thank goodness someone finally pointed it out (laughs) thank
0: you yes Disney yes me yes I so the character that I'm currently working with now my main character I'm toying with the idea of having her have been involved in an accident at a very young age that caused her to lose an eyeball. And so she would be wearing an eye patch. And so in order to kind of get more <laughs> into, I like truly it's uh, it's been very helpful. I ordered a set of eye patches so I could wear them while I was walking around and doing things because it definitely does inform what the character can and cannot do. Um, and I feel so silly um, when I look at myself in the mirror, which is like sort of, you know, the unfortunate dichotomy of usually writing in front of a mirror. Um, but yeah, I think wandering around my apartment with eye pa- with an eye patch on for the sake of getting more in tune with the physicality of a character is quite lonely girl mm-hmm. and I um
1: love that
0: yeah i am not i don't know like the sort of ethics of it <laughs> but i do i do think really what i'm trying to do
1: is um it's actually right here here it is oh. there's the eye patch it's right is, in front of um me. is boyfriend around while you do this or do you yes do he, this is. When... He, That's very
0: he is he is and he goes
1: wow hmm he goes, oh, okay. That's nice. Is there anything you've learned that you want to share with the class before we do it up? Yeah. Um.
0: Having an eye patch, losing an eye, having an eye patch, being without one eye makes your depth perception difficult. It is difficult to understand how far away things are. Um, you lose your balance a lot more. I would say it's like, it's harder to focus on things. And it's like definitely a learning process, so losing an eye is like, no, it's no small feat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you also can't see from one side of your face. So like your, no, peripher- you can't. your peripheral vision is like, is completely blocked.
1: Can you like, can you legally drive a car? You with can, catch? you can. Interesting. There's so
0: much research. You can legally drive a car. I think you just, you have to extend your view and mm-hmm. like extra mirrors are helpful.
1: Amazing.
0: I know. Speaking of seeing
1: with eyes. Uh Uh-huh. From new directions and new perspectives. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's
1: talk about Dune.
0: Let's talk about Dune. Okay, so Rebecca hasn't seen this. And if you are watching visually, I think this will be a real treat for you. We will Mm -hmm. put as many of these clips up onto our social medias as possible. But I have created a powerpoint. This is the the first of its kind for the Lonely Girl podcast and I'm deeply deeply excited to share it with you guys and with Rebecca who has not seen this. I'm excited. Okay. Can yeah. you see it? What is dune? Wait. No, sorry. What is dune? Okay. What is dune? A powerpoint presentation by Maddie for Rebecca. What is dune? Dune is a Hugo Award-winning sci-fi series written by author Frank Herbert in the year 1965. Dune is one of the world's best-selling science fiction novels of all time. Dune is a story that explores the multi-layered interactions of politics, religion, ecology, technology, and human emotion. But what really is Dune? Dune is weird as hell.
1: Love that font. What font is that, Maddie?
0: That's Comic Sans, baby girl. Hell yeah. Dune is weird as hell. Part one. Computers are bad. Drugs are good. Dune is our world, but 8,000 years in the future. Did you know that, Rebecca? Yeah, it was taking place. And it's like so far away. They said the it's year like, at one point. It's like, it's like the year 10,000, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. So it's like 8,000 years in the future. As we evolved and technology developed, we became too reliant on computers. Our minds began to turn to mush. So, thousands of years before the Dune story, there was a massive war called the Butlerian Jihad, where all thinking machines, so like AI, computers, were eliminated and outlawed. Robots, still okay, but anything that thinks on its own that isn't just mechanical, outlawed, not okay. Since then, humans have become efficient in strengthening their minds to be capable of what a supercomputer could do. So that's why you've got uh, more power to people, oops, more powerful people. So we've got this guy who's a human computer, that's a Mentat. We have this guy, UA who's a healer. And then we have these bitches, the 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 Bene Gesserit who are kind of like the masters of their own body and their own minds this makes the system of government like way more complex part two the lands rad the emperor space amazon and dune mess with the bull you get the horns in the dune universe we have a system of checks and balances that's how this functions that's who um That's who we're really like focusing on as the people in power in the Dune universe. There are 13 great houses known as the Landsrad who are all under the rule of the Emperor. We only care about two
1: of these houses, so don't freak out. We care about House Atreides, House And just to tell the people one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm looking at 14 different crests right now. Yeah. Of different houses. So that's why she said don't freak out.
0: Don't freak out. Um, one of them is House Carino of the crests that she's looking at, and um, that is the House Crest of the Emperor. The Emperor is above everyone. The Emperor is totally rich because her dad invented Toaster Strudel. So the Emperor played in the Denis Villeneuve adaptation, Dune Part 2, as Christopher Walken, which, honestly, brilliant casting is in power because he's hella rich and his family's been hella rich for generations. He tells the houses what to do and they sort of have to listen because he has this super powerful army that he finances. He also, though, can't be a total dick about it because the great houses could band together and their numbers would definitely outweigh his. So we've got these great houses. We've got um, and, and we've got this like big sort of overarching power who tells them what to do. But he can't kind of like he can't be crazy about it because they would band together and they would mm-hmm. take over. That's
1: 13 other houses.
0: Yeah, 13 other houses, two of which are. House Atreides, and House Harkonnen, which we will focus on. But no one wants war obvi, so there's a lot of political undermining on all sides. Remember how I said computers are illegal? This made travel and commerce nearly impossible until a company called Chome, basically Space Amazon, found a way to utilize an organic material found on the planet Arrakis to facilitate space travel. This substance you ask? Spice. We're now looking
1: at a picture of ice spice.
0: We are now looking at a picture of ice spice. Okay, spice is metaphorically oil. Think of it as oil in our context, spice is oil. If oil made you trip absolute balls, extend your life by double, was life-threateningly addictive, And in certain individuals could enable prescient visions of the future. So some people are not affected by spice. Some people, it's just like it's heroin. It like makes them feel amazing. It extends their life. But in some people, they consume spice and they are able to see possibilities of their own future. Not exactly tell the future, but they are able to envision uh, potential outcomes. What can I expect on my vacation to the planet Dune? It's hot as balls. So Dune specifically is an a, a mostly uninhabitable planet. And that's really, really important in the Dune universe in a lot of ways. Uh, it has only really been lived on by an indigenous population called the Fremen, which we'll talk about. But it is also... For anyone who comes in to take over the running, the mining of spice on Arrakis, aka Dune, it's completely, it is is insanely difficult to live on. There is no water and big ass worms who will eat you and everyone you love. And I think what's important to note there is this is not a planet that anyone would, uh, Habitate, but there are a lot of people in the universe essentially if dune stops becoming a desert planet it would no longer be profitable the worms could not exist in a less temperamental climate and the worm carcasses are the things that are creating the spice think of like dinosaurs and fossil fuels and how that creates oil that's essentially the connection there is the the decaying carcasses of worms is what the the spice melange is rendered from do you have any questions so far Rebecca oh how did how did this not come up in the movie I just watched the movie I know it's just like I should preface also to our listeners that like I think the movie is enjoyable on its own but I think
1: it's more enjoyable the more you know I, I will say so I was taking notes during the movie because it it helps me stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Um which some of it was just ew or yeah. like a sad face emoji. Like ew, ew. or like oh like so but but like it keeps me entertained. And um one of my first notes though was like I like that they're and it wasn't sarcastic. I was like I kind of like that they're not really explaining yeah, stuff. The book itself was considered
0: to be unadaptable
1: mm-hmm.
0: like for so long and I think what Denis did is so well done and so mm-hmm. I think it evokes enough of the story where you can enjoy it by itself there's nothing that's really like left out in terms of world building just sort of like
1: in terms of what they show in the story mm-hmm. very and I, well done and I think like because there's one part, point like spoiler where um timothy chalamet's dad oscar isaac says to a uh, best character in the movie jessica oh my god um, jessica the, we're gonna talk jessica, about jessica, the best. Best. jessica. he just says like and y'all this is like an hour and a half into the movie he says like i should have married you i should have married you i should have married and, you and i was like they're not married but and, the, and then later you found find out someone refers to her at least as his concubine mm-hmm. and i didn't know that but then you just kind of, like, go, oh, go okay. oh, okay. Because if it would have been brought up earlier, there would have had to be a scene where, like, yes, even though they are not married and yeah. that she is a concubine. You know, like, it it would have been whatever. Like, I didn't really need to know it. Like, I knew how the parents felt about each other. Yes. And that's, that's all I needed to know. And
0: I think even in the books, you don't really get that. And I think that's what Denis does really well is he – injects emotion and character relationships and what they mean to one another mm-hmm. in a way that is not really fleshed out on in the books that's sort of like given way for like world building. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. Who needs spice? <laughs> Everyone needs spice for space travel. There's like the chum, the space Amazon people have figured out how to convert spice into space travel in the same way that like you know gasoline converts into and we can move cars is that it's that but it also is something that um facilitate like uh the 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 jeseret use spice and also like very rich political leaders are addicted to spice and spice mm. is something where it, It is so addictive that if you stop using it, you will die. So it is like the most valuable substance in the universe, which is sort of what sets up this entire story. So whoever controls Arrakis then controls the universe. Part three, the good, the bad, and the ugly, a.k.a. the hotties, the witches, and the incels. House Atreides. People this hot can't be bad. That's the rule. Hot daddy Oscar Isaac rules his house with the Bene Gesserit concubine, Jessica, and their son, Paul. We will go into more about the Bene Gesserit, but I think one thing to note about Jessica, who is absolutely, I'm so glad you clocked that, Rebecca, the best character. Jessica was a Bene Gesserit sister, or is still to this day, practicing Bene Gesserit, And she was, for lack of a better word, given to Duke Leto Atreides as a concubine, essentially. But he fell in love with her and she fell in love with him, which she wasn't supposed to do. And her goal- Why was she given to him? So we'll get into this.
1: Okay.
0: This is, so she was given to him through the Bene Gesserit and their sort of- I would say political manipulations throughout time, but just know that she was given to him and she was supposed to give him a daughter, but she gave him a son because that would extend the Atreides bloodline and she did not do that because she fell in love. I think that's the big thing with Dune is people fall in love and their hearts betray their minds which is beautiful, I think. Duke Leto, hot daddy Oscar Isaac, is so good and hot, actually, that the emperor has begun to get a little jealous of how much his people and the Landsrad love him. Important to know. And this is all before the movie takes place.
1: And can she choose to give... Was she able mm-hmm. to, like, choose?
0: Yeah, so it's sort okay. of... um, They have, like, full control... Like they are, um, they're they're basically like in full control over their like bodies mm. and their minds through like years of like training, and conditioning, and stuff like that. House Harkonnen. ew, this house is ugly. I didn't even know what you was in relation to when you were sending me your notes, but I knew, I knew it was in relation to this house and these guys. I I think um. House Harkonnen is really interesting. I also, like, love the way Denis styled and costumed them. I think they're so, like, I would say, like, gluttonous and grotesque, and they're meant to be these, like, ultimate evil guys. This house has been placed in a position of control over the planet Dune for generations. That's one thing to note. And so they were basically able to become incredibly rich because they figured out how to mine spice. They basically turned the planet of Dune into like a slave trade. And so they were they had a certain amount of like spice that they had to tithe to the emperor and to like the imperium. And they were able to make that amount and then also keep some for themselves and sell it. So they became very rich. They've made a lot of money, so much money that they're said to be more wealthy than the emperor himself, which isn't good for the emperor. Not good. Uh, uh, not good. They also, within the landsrat, those thirteen houses, House Harkonnen and House Atreides, have had an ongoing feud between the two of them for like centuries. Can I ask a question? Yes. Okay. So the guy from Mama Mia. Um, Yes, he a worm. No, why does he get so tall? Oh, okay. So like beasts all the time, and he basically like has created like a flying machine because he to like move himself. Like he can't like move his own body anymore. He's like used the power of technology to be able to move around.
1: Because there's a moment, y'all, where he like rises from the ground, and And there's this upsetting. Yeah, it's
0: upsetting. It
1: looks like it's it well, looks like he's maybe a giant flying worm.
0: Well, and it's so funny that you say that in terms of the Dune universe and like people become worms. The do dune you call universe? it the dune universe? Yeah. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do call it the dune universe. Okay, next we have Gaslight like Gatekeep jesuit <laughs> Okay, so what we've talked about up, up until now is the front-facing politics. Beneath this, we have the Bene Gesserit. And I actually think this is what separates – Dune from basically sci-fi as we know it exists because of Dune, but one of the things I think that separates it in a lot of ways is its world building, its lore, and I think it's Frank Herbert's ability to write really interesting, complex female characters, and I think it's very telling that the most powerful force, powerful manipulative force that he created in this universe is uh, this exclusive sisterhood of witches, for lack of a better word, whose members train their body and minds through years of physical and mental conditioning to obtain superhuman powers and abilities that seem magical to outsiders. They are the secret rulers of the Imperium. If we look outside the sort of like capitalist, like the economic struggle between the, the desire to control Dune and like the wealth that that provides. The Bene Gesserit are the second part of it. They're controlling like the political machinations. They operate under the guise of a religious organization, which is really fascinating. And they're known to go to other planets and sort of like plant seeds, prof- ap- apostolize. What's that word? go and tell the gospel. They basically Mm -hmm. go and they are Protestants in a way and they dispel rumors of uh, messiahs and uh, like religious figures and religious omens that are meant to assist in like controlling people and controlling the masses. And it's Unclear whether or not the Bene Gesserit really believe in what they're saying, what they're what they're prophetizing, which is I think really compelling. What do they gain? So they manipulate people to their own ends sometimes years in advance often through crossing bloodlines. So we have this world where computers are, thinking machines are illegal. So humans have like evolved in such a compelling, I would say, in a way where they have so many abilities that the Bene Gesserit have been crossing bloodlines intentionally to create the kwisak Sadzarak which is essentially like a human supercomputer. Someone who can see the future, who can calculate, who can travel through space and time. Basically, like what their goal is, is to have a ruler of the universe that they control. And mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that the Bene Gesserit is an exclusively female sisterhood. And what they've done is cross bloodlines for centuries. That, and that specifically is why they asked Jessica to birth a girl. Because they in their sort of like in their future understandings and their predictions that the girl that Jessica birthed would marry the son of a house Harkonnen, essentially, and create
1: the gross people.
0: Exactly. Yes. The the ew, okay. the ew house. Ew. And then that person would be a boy. The Kwisak Sazerac is supposed to be a boy. But what Jessica did is she like defied her upbringing, this, I mean, her entire religion because she fell in love with Duke Lado. and she had a son. She had Paul. Essentially, she taught him the Bene Gesserit ways, which she wasn't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And you see a little bit of that in
1: the Dune movie.
0: That's sort of like why those women come and... Like he has to put his hand in the box.
1: Is that his, is that his grandma? No,
0: I mean mm. like maybe sort of spiritually a grandma. That's basically like the reverend mother.
1: And and that is oh, So it's so this is sound of music.
0: It's basically it is the sound of music. Yes, you are correct. Like, like, wait, like, she's okay, Maria wait, being sent yes, to Oscar and Isaac. Yes, like, yes, oh my gosh, wow, Rebecca, yes, Dune is the sound of music. But if the nuns then came to the house and just sort of, like, tortured the eventual child of mm-hmm. Maria von Trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The great houses essentially exist as a pool of genes for them to pick from. And the reason why the Bene Gesserit are valuable is because mm-hmm. they can't, they use the spice to have like prescient visions. They're like, they're able to like use the voice, which uh, so is. So they
1: are also fueled by spice.
0: Exactly. Every, okay. Everybody. Spice, spice spice baby. spice. Okay. So what do we know? The emperor is jealous of hot daddy Oscar Isaac and scared of the house of ill will become more powerful than him. The house of ugh, gross and hot daddy Oscar Isaac hate one another. This is important. The planet Arrakis is the only location in the known universe where spice can be found. And a Yucky Yucky House currently controls Arrakis and spice production. Last but not least, the Bene Gesserit are a freaky sisterhood of witches who have been working for centuries to manipulate and control the great houses, the Imperium, and the universe as we know it. Part four, Jesus Christ Superstar.
1: <laughs> I did write <laughs> at one point in my notes, I said, Timmy is Jesus.
0: It is um, like um, a Messiah story, for sure. Like, it it also is, like, very reminiscent of the Prince of Egypt. I think mm-hmm. I think if you think of it in that context, mm-hmm. um, it's very it's very much the Prince of Egypt. So he's not like other girls; he's worse. Paul Atreides, Also, for our listeners, I just showed um one a picture of Timothy Chalamet in his, looking very vampire coded, very vampire coded, um, just sort of looking up at the horizon and his like dark, you know, um atreides hamlet yes absolutely absolutely so paul atreides is 15 at the beginning of dune and he's like just like built different um he's the son of a duke he's the son of a highly ranked Gesserit sister jessica he's jesus um maddie did not have time to create the rest of this powerpoint so she will do her best to explain how paul is jesus but also a supercomputer and also maybe not any of those things also maybe evil
1: okay take it away that was beautiful how long did that take you maddie
0: i don't know like i i did it this morning
1: that's insane
0: i just like love dune a lot i think the thing with dune it is really about what human beings are capable of. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes magic, it takes omens, it takes prophecies out of the equation and supposes that there are forces at play that are orchestrating all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, but also there are elements where it's like, were the forces really at play? Or is this really a thing? Mm -hmm. And kind of about the choices that we make and the choices we don't make, and what we, what our human mind is capable of, and I think getting into the Dune book, basically, we're just seeing a uh, the playing out of these different political and religious and um, capitalistic forces kind of coinciding with one another and the people like the real people at the heart of it who are affected by it you just watched the movie i guess like after this do you have questions that you want to throw at me and then i can sort of like guide us through and and to the end of this conversation i guess like maybe could you talk more about the native
1: people of? yeah
0: Okay, so, like, what are their religious beliefs and stuff? Okay, so, and this is, like, a massive part of Dune Part 2 that will be discussed. Essentially, all of this is happening, and what the Emperor decides to do, and this is what happens literally, like, in the first scene, in the first, like, few seconds of the first Dune movie, we find out that the, the Emperor, Christopher Walken, has decided to he's jealous of duke leto he's like this guy's getting too powerful also the harkonnens are getting too wealthy so what do i do knowing that there's a feud between the harkonnens and the atreides house of ew and hot hot hottest house there is i am going to remove the harkonnens there i'm going to remove them from power i'm going to remove them from overseeing This planet, I'm gonna remove them from their ability to become wealthy. And I'm going to place Duke Leto and House Atreides in control of this house. And it seems like, oh wow, you, you know, you guys have been doing so well. And I'm, you know, I'm so proud of you. And I want you to be able to make all this wealth. But in reality, he knows that House Harkonnen is like absolutely not going to stand by this lightly.
1: Oh, so he's pretty much, like, just letting them get murdered. Exactly,
0: exactly. And they're mm-hmm. a small house, like the Atreides and Oscar Isaac and and all of them. They're small. Like, they're very uh, – they have lots of loyalty, and they have presided over, like, a very beautiful, prosperous planet for a long time, but they don't have the same numbers that Harkonnen – House Harkonnen does. That house, they've been ew. building. Okay, so that's essentially what's happening when the dune story starts and i think to a certain degree oscar isaac duke leto understands what's happening but he's like okay i can do it what other choice do i have i'm going to then do what no one else has done and i'm going to try to make friends with the fremen with javier bardem and zendaya and their people and i'm going to accumulate desert power and i think that is like duke leto's ultimate downfall is his sort of benevolence and his naivete. Mm -hmm. Um, He could have been a little bit more on top of things and a little bit more suspicious. That doesn't happen. And so I think in the same way, the thing that sort of got House Atreides to that place in the first place is what saved Jessica and Paul, where like the Bene Gesserit, who are and we see in the film, they are in the ear of the emperor. They're also in the ear of, like, the Harkonnens. Ew, gross. Mm. Gross house. Ugh. And they say to the Harkonnens, like, you can't hurt Jessica and Paul. Like, you can get rid of, of Oscar Isaac. Get rid of him. We don't care about him. But you can't kill them. So Harkonnens go like, oh, well, we, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to let him go in the desert. But I think the thing that they underestimate is this second piece. Another part of what makes Dune really compelling is this sort of, like, Messiah story. So the Bene Gesserit have been crossing bloodlines for centuries to create, essentially, like, to breed the most, the most human, the best human, the best, most, all human that will inevitably be a man. The reason for that being uh, that... The thing with Bene Gesserits is that they're able to access the memories of all Bene Gesserit ancestors throughout time, but they can't access male ancestors. It's like violent and horrible, and it doesn't allow for them to it sort of like makes their minds like corrupted. But this sort of male Quizak Sazerac that they've been crossbreeding to get, he will be able to access both the female memories of all the the women before him and all the men before him as well, which will make him like innately incredibly powerful and intelligent.
1: You look confused. That's just a lot to take in.
0: It is a lot to take in. It's a lot. There's a lot. It's a lot.
1: Real fast, I just want to commend Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Because at one point he's been captured and he's like getting like shaken around. Yeah. In a- a thing, and I'm just like became so thankful for Timothy Chalamet because I just realized how unwatchable 99.9 percent of actors would be. Oh my god, in this role. Oh my god, right? Made, like,
0: no, I think this, he's like, like. I think he is. I think he is so wonderful to watch on screen. Like, you mm-hmm. could, I could watch him like just look at a wall. It's a magical quality, and it, I think he was born with it.
1: I think it's like – it. part of it is his prettiness and then part Mm. of it is thoughts show really clearly when he's not doing anything Mm -hmm. because often he doesn't really get to say very many interesting things. So I think if he like had – like if he was an actor who was acting all of this, it would be so – Annoying. Yeah, it would be, it would be un- insufferable. I think then, Timothy Chalamet could
0: not have been better cast as Paul.
1: Well, what I was thinking when um, Maddie checked in on me was uh, you were like male and female energy, and I was like, that's so Timmy. Like he yeah. is beautiful, he is like there is something like very there is a masculinity to him, but he still yes. is like very beautiful. So he does. Like, it's not like, yeah, he's so hot. He's Jesus. That's not it. It's more like if this is what the Bene Gesserit was breeding for, mm-hmm. this makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, this makes a ton of sense. And I think what the first part of Dune is really Doing, doing. I've almost it, made that joke. So I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm so glad. I'm, I'm really glad we just like broke the seal and mm-hmm. um, we allowed it. What it's doing is like it's this real like meditative kind of like you're getting settled in like the world in a lot of ways. In the, um, I don't know, like the. The mood, in a lot of ways, I think this film is really good at capturing mood and tone. Mm-hmm. Like, but a lot of it is just like running through a desert. It's just running with your mom in a desert.
1: One like, of my summaries, I didn't send this to Maddie, was Skinny Boy's best friend is his mom. Is his, his, his mom?
0: Is <laughs> his mom? And honestly, there is like, I think it, they don't explain it, but like the Bene Gesserit, like they tend to look a lot younger longer Mm -hmm. because of their abilities to like control their and so that i I feel like like the actress who Uh plays his mom like could be his sister essentially what happens with the plot is is the emperor has set them up not for success they have to go to the planet arrakis uh, the family has to go and take control of spice production, and and they're hoping that they can become the allies with the Fremen, all these things. One thing that they don't really consider is when Timothy Chalamet and his mother land, is this sort of Messiah, is this Jesus thing? It is the Jesus prophecy, the Bene Gesserit have said. And that, I think, is the story that the viewers, the readers of the novel, us as humans have to wrestle with, is the Bene Gesserit have gone about and sowed seeds of this messiah, this religion, especially in marginalized communities. Uh, The Fremen have been colonized, essentially, and half of them have been um, captured and used as slave labor and then half of them have escaped into sieges in the desert and have learned how to survive but the harkonnen especially have gone out of their way to try and continue to fight them and capture them so the idea of a messiah coming down and igniting like a religious jihad Uh, which is an interesting word that, I mean, Frank Herbert is not without his faults. There's a lot of like appropriation in terms of terminology, and he takes a lot from other, uh, from Islamic religions and Judeo-Christian religions and utilizes that. Vernacular to kind of, I would say, give his Western readers like a context for the vibe he wants his characters to be giving, or his his uh, his plot to be giving. But essentially, this quizax Hazarak, who is a messiah figure like a Jesus, is going to come and basically lead the Fremen people, the 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 people of Arrakis, in a in in a revolt that will extend beyond Arrakis itself and sort of uh, create like a new order and like instill like a new it, it will be a religious jihad and, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. and in the Dune movie you see Paul freaking out in a tent and seeing all these visions with him and Zendaya like on a on a on a ship and bodies are burning everywhere and like that's yeah. sort of what he's seeing for the first time but one thing that they don't really explain that well in the movie is like the effect of spice on Paul and that he's never really interacted with spice before obviously because he's been on Kaladin his whole life and so when he when they're like visiting the spice mining thing they're mm-hmm. like out in the desert they're flying on the helicopters blah, 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 and he goes out and they're like rescuing the guys from mm-hmm. the spice thing. the worm. he's getting hit with spice for the first time he's not just having like you know, dreams of Zendaya. He's he's having like visions of the future, possibly, potentially the future.
1: All of his visions so far are coming true. No, that's the thing. Oh. And
0: that's why that scene at the end with him fighting is so confusing. Yeah. Because you see the actor, we'll get there, we'll get there. Basically, the Harkonnen, they don't think Paul is anything. Like, nobody thinks Paul is the Messiah, Mm -hmm. really, in in a sort of like global geopolitical sense. It's really just like the people, uh, you know, on the underground, the underground people. They believe that all the signs point to Paul being this Messiah figure. So the Harkonnens come in. They take out the Atreides. They wipe them out completely. They uh, destroy their armies. They have spies on the inside. It's really sad. Betrayal, everything. But Paul and Jessica escape into the desert. Da, 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 da. They're, they're trying to find the Fremen. They find the Fremen. And the Fremen leader, Javier Bardem,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would say like sort of hesitantly accepts paul as being like the uh the the quesak Sazerac or the moadi which paul ends up calling himself which is the little mouse he
1: he calls himself mouse
0: he calls himself like the name that that little mouse creature is like cute little like
1: oh so the mouse is called that it basically it would be
0: like if someone was like oh i'm wolf whatever (laughs) okay yeah cool
1: that's um, not like a famous mouse.
0: N- no, 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 no. no. It's just uh, it's not like Mickey Mouse. Um, but essentially what happens at the end is like, it's like weird and not even important and it like I think what it's meant to do is show that like not all the visions that Paul sees are real and true because he sees this character who challenges him. In a, mm-hmm. like a fight to the death because that's how the Fremen fight and he sees this person being friends with him and kind of like and, and giving him information and they're like sort of sharing life together he sees that but because of the decisions that this person makes to fight Paul to the death to not mm-hmm. accept him and to and, and it's actually not him it's his mom fight in place of his mom and <laughs> such a good guy it, it's shown that him killing this guy eliminates that sort of line of thought. There were moments in his visions where like Zendaya stabbed him with a knife. There's also
1: Jason Momoa. He was like, hey, don't leave or you'll die. And then he didn't die, I think, when Timothy thought he was going to die, but he did die later. Okay. So I want to set up for the listeners what I witnessed in this Mm -hmm. final scene and then you tell me the information I'm missing. So Javier Bardem is like, okay, we'll keep Timmy because he's young and we can train him to survive. But the mom, like she's just going to be dead weight and people's moisture and like body, water is very important. So he was like, her water is is more valuable. She's more –
0: like the water in her body is more valuable than – her existence yeah. really. And,
1: and that's something that like at one point the the water, like if someone wasn't wearing a special suit that they wear out in the desert a lot, they'll die within two hours, I think. Yeah. So anyway, so then the mom fights Javier and like has a knife to him or whatever. And someone's like, okay, like give up Javier, you've been busted. And he's yeah. like, okay, fair, fair. And then this guy that was in the vision, I think says like, okay, she beat you. So it seems like he was saying she beat you. So like she's now the leader almost.
0: I think it was more like, I think within like the Fremen, there aren't as distinct hierarchies of power. And this guy was like, I don't think you, Javier Bardem, are doing um, your due diligence Mm -hmm. with with these two strangers,
1: essentially. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't let them join us? Exactly.
0: I would like to get rid of the mother. Because I don't uh-huh. think she should be with us. And so I'm going to fight her to the death. Okay. And then Timothy Chalamet, who has never killed anyone before, in the book, it explains it a bit more, but he's like, he's been trained to fight. He's like mm-hmm. a very good fighter. He's basically been trained, he's like basically a vessel. He's kind of like mm-hmm. a like a a child actor in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And that trauma will come out as an adult. That will come out later, for sure. But he's been trained to fight. He's been trained in the way. He's been trained in all of these things because Jessica- Has no friends,
1: by the way. Oh, Notice that. No
0: friends. No friends. The second Zendaya looks at him, he's like, oh my God, someone my age- He does have Jason Momoa. I was just about to say Jason Momoa. He does have Jason
1: Momoa. Which I do think Jason Momoa, and I mean this as high praise, I do think one of his best friends could be a 15-year-old. I believe that absolutely. And I don't think it would be like – spirits. Yeah, I think, yes. I will say, and I do remember hearing a lot of complaints about Dune. Everyone's like, oh, Zendaya, like, she wasn't in it. She wasn't in it. I would like to complain that she's in it constantly. She's Zendaya in it all the time. is in it more. I wrote down in my notes: take a shot every time you see Have a Zendaya, Zendaya. <laughs> Well, I think uh, the character. I mean,
0: I'm I'm excited to watch the part two because the character that Zendaya is playing is like a nothing character in the books, and mm. I mean this in like she she means a lot in like the plot of the books. Uh, she's like she's sort of like used a lot in a lot of ways, and I think Denise – If anything, like, this is Zendaya's... The character's name is Chani. This is... Denise is telling the story from Chani's perspective. Actor, Like, she's the narrator Mm -hmm. of this movie, in a sense. And if you know the story and, like, you know what happens throughout... It really should be narrated by Chani, honestly. Like, it really is her story in a lot of ways. I'm interested to see her be more of an integral part
1: in the sequel. And I think she's... It's kind of like Timothy where it's like you need a really powerhouse actor.
0: You need someone Um, whose face you can just look at at. and be like, yeah. And
1: Zendaya does have some lines that are pretty – like the way she delivers some lines that are so not really saying anything, like I don't know if I can trust you, but the way she like says all of it, she's acting her face off in like the best way – you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he had to hire one of the most just talented, just freaking talented, yeah. not that just him. beautiful, just so talented and watchable and smart and, like, kind of had to, I'm sure, like, win her over of, like, no, 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 I promise. Like, I need
0: you. This is – Like, you don't even know it until you see them on screen, until you mm-hmm. get them, like, in front of a camera, but it really is, like – some people just have that face,
1: they did a great job of like like jason momoa's character being like guy you don't want to die exactly you, you know you don't want jason momoa to die
0: you don't, you don't want, want that. Him to die i mean i think there's i mean the whole movie is really just kind of like a montage like denise like knows how to
1: denise knows how to craft a a goddamn wonderful montage And also, um, I want you to say the fun fact you told me a year and a half ago of like how much it – because I think about it constantly. How much did it cost to make that in comparison? How much did it uh, cost to make Black Widow? Hold on. I'm going to pull it up really quick. Because that blew my mind. Like and also, who? What did they li- um, lose? Best adapted screenplay? Did they li- lose to like Jojo Rabbit or something? Something like that. Yeah, no, I just I was think, watching. I think it-
0: Jojo Rabbit was an original screenplay.
1: Mm-mm, it was best I adapted. Okay, he like loosely, loosely, loosely based it on something.
0: Dune is all about scale. Denis Villeneuve understands scale. Like you mm-hmm. feel like you are in a world that that has not existed. And that movie, that beautiful, that beautiful, gorgeous film Dune, was created for $165 million, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. However, in comparison, a movie that came out that exact same year, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, was created for a whopping $288.5 million. Over a hundred million dollars more. And Denis was able to create, oh, that movie is so beautiful. Like, I sometimes just, like, throw it on in the background because every single shot is gorgeous. Every single costume
1: is so thought out and so So stunning. And it's just even, I could just watch clips of, like, big big doors coming yes. out of sand oh yeah Just like oh. what are those were those like was that bfx was he someone yeah. who like it, it's so, all very
0: real so i think they do like a really effortless blending of practical and cgi which is really mm-hmm. important i think he has an understanding of like what we need to throw the money into. So, like, that scene where, like, the the thing is coming out of the water, definitely mm-hmm. CGI. And that's, like, the big beautiful. But, like, the, you know, the scene with um Oscar and Timmy on, like, the cliffs when they're in the graveyard, mm-hmm. like, that's all practical. And it's all mm-hmm. beautiful. And all the sand is all practical. They shot it in Jordan. So they shot it in this, like, very temperamental, like, beautiful climate. All of the interiors were practical. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the landscapes, obviously, CGI, but I think it's this really nice, natural, magical blend of practical. And I think the costuming really does a lot. Oh. The costuming is
1: so thoughtful. Don't even get me started on the music. The music the, well, I mean, so good. I, famously, is- if you've ever seen, um, it's the guy. It's the guy from The Holiday. The guy that did the music from The Holiday. <laughs> it's Jack Black. <laughs> uh, Well, it's Hans Zimmer who did do the music from The Holiday. It's Um, Hans
0: Zimmer who also did the music from Prince of Egypt, which I think is, like, everything he did in Prince of Egypt, I think he, like, used here. You can hear so much of it in
1: Dune. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually know he did Prince of Egypt. Obviously, I thought about Star Wars during Dune. like, Star Wars (laughs) is Star Wars because of Dune. But I thought of, which, like, when Star Wars like got a facelift and like redid all of their practical effects with the v- yeah. VX. I think we can all agree it sucks, but one Absolutely. of the I thought about um, the practical way that they did all of the just so this, like pra- practical effects. Practical um, effects. How oh, they're like dr- dragging around a spaceship behind a truck. Yeah, like, yeah. And I thought about that in a really great way with Dune where I kind of – there were thoughts where I, I think I saw the water one. And I was like, I don't know. Did they I'm make like, a really – Did they do that? <laughs> well, no. I was thinking more like did they make like, like – I a thinking, Yeah, a miniature and then maybe like had like – you know, it like – Take out the green screen. Like, I really was like, that's how good it was. Is I was I wondering it, if they were doing practical effects.
0: I think it, I think it does such an amazing job. I think the biggest thing is scale. I mm-hmm. think that you feel like everything feels enormous mm-hmm. and it feels like there's no way this could be practical. There's no way. And like, for the most part, no, it's not. But it's done in such an effortless way where like, I also just think like everything feels anthropologically sound like Mm. the there is a specific wardrobe tied to specific families and tied Mm -hmm. to specific locations and their sounds and like themes uh, tied to specific moments and people and everything feels really grounded in a way and and really like thoughtful in a way and I Mm. think that that's important and I think for the dune book series because every i mean everything is thought out like there's a a, like a dune encyclopedia that was written by the author Mm -hmm. explaining things even more like this was his life this was his baby this was his world that he created similarly I i would say the only author that i know We've had, like, two generations of it, I would say, or three, mm-hmm. where the first one was Tolkien. Tolkien, yeah. Yeah. Then Herbert, and mm-hmm. then, unfortunately, J.K. Rowling.
1: or And, and George R.R. R. Martin. Well, he, I, would...
0: I mean, George R.R. Martin is basically, like, redoing
1: Dune. Wait, George R.R. Martin is Game of Thrones, right?
0: Yeah, but he's basically marrying Lord of the Rings and Dune.
1: Well, it's working. Yeah, um, I mean, he's doing a great
0: job, but, like... Same. Game of Thrones would not be Game of Thrones without Dune.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um Dune came out around the time of the fall of Marvel. Absolutely. Because I was just thinking about whenever I've seen a Marvel movie, because Jen wants to go see one. Yes. My beautiful friend Jen. Yes. Um, If she wants to go, which well, she probably will listen. She also loves Dune. And I will do anything she wants. I never watch something and wonder in a Marvel film if it's real or not because right. I think right now we're almost so desensitized. Like you're seeing these fantastical things, and I'm not like rolling my eyes. Like Bleh. I'm just no, like. I mean, it's beautiful I'm just CGI, like,
0: and I think like it's the, so well done. The 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 VFX uh, VFX artists like are absolutely Artist. true artists, and I mm-hmm. and I don't want to discredit them, but I do think.
1: But I don't think about them. You know what I mean? No, I not at all.
0: It. Well, and I think like nothing like last last night um, boyfriend and I watched in succession both Jumanji and Zathura because we were talking about like the practical effects that like stood out to us. Mm-hmm. And the um, there is something that like you just can't nothing, nothing is as visceral and as good as a practical effect.
1: I wonder if – you know how people are obsessed with doing one-shots? Yes. I kind of wonder if – we're going to
0: get into like a new era
1: of practical effects. I think so. I hope so. I love practical effects. I do too. And also I think it's because I think you can feel – the excitement in the energy, and yeah. that, like, are we gonna get the shot? Are we gonna? I didn't. And also, I... it's like the um the AI of it all. I
0: mean, like a, a computer, it's really difficult to capture the same inconsistencies and nuances of a a firework or whatever that mm-hmm. anything real can. Like, real is real, and CGI is CGI. It's what the whole Dune thing is about is real is
1: real. Well, I think the movie that Javier did after Dune, I was watching an interview when I looked him up, which was Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. Right,
0: um, right, right. right. His
1: esteemed work, work, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. and. Actually, I think one of the cinematographers was coming into my coffee shop around the time mm. they were shooting it. Yes. And he was saying he was so nice. And I do think Javier I think he kind is kind like actor, a
0: really nice guy. Is
1: like, okay, cool, we're dancing today. Like he's yeah. not eye rolling. No. But um, but it was a Zoom interview between Sean and Sean Mendez and Mendes. Javier. And weirdly, um, I just and Javier was being so nice about it. But um, Sean Mendes was not on set in no. d- doing a Taylor Lautner dressed as a, uh, a- alligator, as a-, a-, <laughs> a crocodile, and I think the film probably suffered for. it. Did you know I had a mental breakdown? Yes, in the year of <laughs> witch. No, but my top listened to song of twenty twenty two was a song Sean sang on the Lyle Lyle Crocodile thing wow. because I was flying um, and. Fashion week. I was at Fashion Week. At oh,
0: right, right, right.
1: And I took a really early morning flight. And from my friend Hannah's apartment in New York until I was getting out of the Uber in front of my apartment, I listened to just this one song from the Lyle mm. Lyle. I can't remember what it was. I, I don't even know what it was. I think that's um, probably for the best. <laughs> I, I couldn't listen to it ever again. <laughs>
0: We all have our, our Lyle paper Lyles. fixation. I definitely went through a phase where I listened to uh, the the Dune soundtrack, but specifically Gom Jabbar, which is the, the scene where the Bene Gesserit Reverend Mother has the needle mm-hmm. against his neck and he's got the hand in the box, which I think is a very compelling scene. I think if you can get to that scene in Dune, you're uh-huh. like... I got to know what's going
1: on. I got to know what's happening. What's funny is that's the last scene we watched together. I do recall. Yeah, but for good reason. We just were like, I and you were like, do you liked it? And I was like, yeah, it was great. You're like, yeah, it was fine. But also, no, we had plans to finish it. We just got detained. We got got distracted. (laughs) Korai is a cookie. That's that's another story. (laughs) That's another story for another time. (laughs) And about like uh, for the 10-year anniversary of Dune, we'll tell you what was happening in our personal lives. Yeah, when we watched Dune for the first time, yeah. And I just always had every intention of finishing it with Maddie. Funny, you listening to that song is... Pretty equivalent to my friend Maggie listening to the tar soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. On repeat.
0: I think Dune is really interesting because, from what I found for the most part, is yeah, either like it or you don't. Mm -hmm. But I think the more you know, it's one of those things where the more you know, the more you like it. Mm -hmm. It is like it's lore. There's a lot of lore, and I think it. I think the lore is all satisfying. And that's really, it's special and it's rare because a lot of times lore is, like, very contradictory or leaves, mm-hmm. like, holes in plots or, like, disservices characters. Mm-hmm. And I think with Dune, like, the characters aren't even that great. And I i think I like that even more because it's really just lore. Like, I actually don't care whether any of these people live or die. Except for Jessica. Except for Jessica, obviously, except for Jessica. And then there's a character. And then there's a character that shows up in part two. And I, because like Jessica's pregnant, right? Did we
1: talk about this? Yeah. Jessica's
0: pregnant. Well, we didn't, but she is. Jessica's pregnant. And that is so very, very important. Mm. And I am, I have done so much Dune 2 research, Dune part two. And there is a character that comes about. In Dune Part 2 that I have seen or heard nothing of. And I am so worried that he's just, like, not going to deal with her. But she's, like, everything. I mean, like, she's maybe the most important character in the entire universe. Yeah. Well, the good
1: news is the reviews have been fantastic. I know. I'm so excited. Um, I can now appreciate. I think also, y'all, that we're, we're, the, we're the twin flame of Maddie and Rebecca do begin to separate is I think philosophy in theology really freaks me out. Yes, Maddie is very philosophical and I'm someone who will do anything not to think about that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I have to use like
0: characters in like, you know, distant desert planets mm-hmm. 10,000 years from the future in
1: order to process it. But yes, exactly. And that's a tool that she uses. How do you feel... Now that you've shared your information, and then how are you feeling about Dune 2? Are you nervous? No, because I'm so excited. 2... I'm
0: so excited. I think here's the thing the only thing I'm nervous about is that it and Denise, like, this is he's like, the first part was more meditative, the second part is like a traditional action flick. And I was like, no, that's what I hated about mm. the first one. I loved how meditative it was. But I think. I think Dune like the second half of the original Dune book is the more compelling part mm-hmm. and is the more interesting part and like I think I could have watched three more hours of the first Dune movie like I know they mm-hmm. shot so much more footage like probably like an hours worth more of footage and I would have watched it like I just loved it and I think I will always want to see more Dune. If it's done mm-hmm. by Denise, honestly, if it's done by anyone, like I will always want to see some, it's sort of like Jane Eyre where like, I love it. It's so ephemeral and it's so up for interpretation that I love mm-hmm. seeing the way that people interpret it. And I will yeah. always
1: watch that. And what she's referring to y'all, if you haven't <laughs> listened to our Jane Eyre episode <laughs> is she has watched every single Jane Eyre adaptation, adaptation. no I made Man Boyfriend kind.
0: watch two adaptations Oh, um, uh, a few the, days ago. Which ones? Well, we watched True Detective, which is directed by Carrie Fukunagua, who directed the Michael Fassbender, Mia Wasikowska version.
1: Mm.
0: None of those words are in the Bible. Um, <laughs> that was like such a word vomit. <laughs> And then, and then I had him. Oh well, I started watching the like sexy BBC two thousand six one. Oh yeah, I did make him watch Sense and Sensibility the other day, and we didn't get through it.
1: Mm. He was
0: like, "I love you." This is so boring. I was like, "This mm. is boring. This is really boring. Unless you're like immediately in it,
1: it's hard. You have to. It's like watching like a montage. It's
0: like watching of- Dune."
1: <laughs> It 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 is. It's like it's like the pastel dune.
0: You have to you have to be in it from the beginning. It mm-hmm. will not win you over if you're not in it.
1: Mm-hmm. You have to already be committed to the
0: bet. Boyfriend for Valentine's Day bought oh, yes. me this,
1: which I, is I love that it looks like a like a lookbook of early Chanel or something. Exactly, but it's it is.
0: Dune Exposures by uh, Greg Frazier and Josh Brolin. Can you just like show me one page? No, I'm going to show you the best page. Oh, okay. This is a limited release. Only a few copies of this were made. And my beautiful boyfriend, knowing how much I love Dune, mm-hmm. uh, bought this for me for Valentine's Day. And this has actually made the rounds on the news apps because it is so... Interesting. There's a an on-set photographer, Greg Fraser, mm-hmm. took photos. They're great photos. They're just all like on-set photos of the I actors. Think I've heard of Yeah. And Josh Brolin wrote poems. This is filled with Josh Brolin, who plays the character of. We haven't even talked about his character in the movie, but he plays. Is he the white guy? Yeah, he's the one who's like the general. Mm-hmm. Who like fights with Timothy Chalamet in the
1: beginning? I would like to say, y'all. In every movie, there was once Maddie was referencing. She was like, "Oh yeah, like so and so, like meeting with so and so." And I go, "Oh, yeah, is that the white guy from that movie?" She's like, "Yeah." It's, and it's filled with white guys, but it's there's five, always but, like, but there's always the one white, guy. just white
0: guy. That Josh Brolin's character is oh, Churny, Churny. That's the character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna find the poem that Josh He's very Brolin. Handsome. Oh, very handsome. We watched No Country for Old Men recently, which stars Josh Brolin and Harpier Bardem. This is a poem that Josh Brolin wrote for Timothy Chalamet. I love it. <laughs> and it's the most heterosexual, deeply so heterosexual, just dudes, dudes loving dudes mm-hmm. um, thing I've ever read in my entire life. It's funny because when Boyfriend got this for me and we were flipping through, I – noticed this poem out of all of them and mm-hmm. then like you know uh, a week later a couple days later started seeing it pop up in news articles okay here it is i just i want to show you the photo that this is accompanied by
1: which is timmy tim just
0: looking timmy tim 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 beautiful
1: yeah 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 beautiful be- like greta gerwig beautiful
0: yes This is the poem that Josh Brolin wrote for Timothy Chalamet. Your face is etched by adolescence. Your cheekbones jump forward. What are youth-laden eyes that slide down a prominent nose and onto lips of a certain poetry? And the way you hold my gaze makes me fear my own age. Because something in me tells you, tells me, You are going to offer me something, and for now, I'm not sure it's going to be something I want anymore. Super, like, cool, like, just
1: bros being bros. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. What did you think? I... I I feel like his, like, daughter on the kitchen table. And I'm like, Dad, have you seen the Dad. tweets? And then he's like, what? I don't understand. And then I'm like, like Dad. Why can't, why can't but, like, I... Dad, no, I get it. I get it. But, like, Dad, what did I you think that people think, were going to think?
0: I think if anyone can get their hands on this book, it will be a treasure for the ages. I, I loved it. It has provided me with many... It, it's just made me realize that some of us, listen, we are really good at things. Each of us has a talent, possible many talents that we are very good at, and we should not attempt to venture into talents that mm-hmm. we're not good at. You can be an amazing actor and a terrible poet, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't
1: write poetry. No, it
0: just means you shouldn't like publish a book.
1: Josh, you shouldn't
0: make a a homoerotic display of affection towards Timothy
1: Chalamet's poetic lips. You're, (laughs) or like in offering something I can't accept, which either guys we're gonna think that this is maybe not a very heterosexual relationship, or or drugs. Yeah, like or just drugs, Dad. How are people supposed to take this? Yeah, Dad,
0: Josh, Dad, Josh, Josh, Daddy Brolin. Come on. come on. There's more Dad. in there. There's more in there about Oscar Isaac and Dave Bautista, but I'm not going to read it because that would take forever. Um, I enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to just sort of like hyperfixate. I really hope you, Rebecca, feel like you can go into watching Dune Part 2 mm-hmm. and enjoy it. I feel like you know –
1: I hope you learned something. Oh, I did. I did. And I was so excited about this. I care a lot that Maddie cares a lot about Dune. I care almost as much about Maddie caring about Dune as she cares about Dune. But anyways, I'm glad that you pointed out that you're prepping yourself to miss the philosophical side of Dune 1. And I think, though, that you can like – kind of like watching a child grow up and they're not your baby anymore like yes. you are proud of them for like how independent they can be and like but they're not going to be like you yeah. know what i well, mean and i
0: think they're i think the dune part 2 just in terms of the plot that i know it will need to cover mm-hmm. in order to cover the plot um, I will be excited to watch that because mm-hmm. I think the first part of Dune is so fucking boring, and so I was so shocked that Denis was able to make it as interesting as it is. Mm-hmm. And so I, the actual meat of the story and the actual like interesting coming things happen in part two, um, and I'm excited about that.
1: I think, I just think go ahead to reference Kat Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm almost positive I would need to see when the stand-up came out. But she – um in her special at one point, my sister Mary and I really related to it. She was like, I don't really care about movies with rope or sand. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there are enough interesting things here. Yes. And I – Yes. I also and don't really thing. like movies with ropes or sand.
0: I also hate movies
1: the... with ropes or sand, but I love this movie. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it's also I know you mentioned it was sci-fi, and I wrote it in my notes. You did, and there, I loved it's... that note. I yeah. Can you say the note that
0: you you typed down? Because I thought that was that is absolutely okay. I think the thing that Dune is is it's not really sci-fi it is I, but... so what
1: I wrote is I said this is a fairy tale in space it's more fantasy than science fiction it is and then after that I wrote I'm confused
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have I think we should have one of those uh <laughs> note screenshots in our I carousel. might because
1: you are the best I might send you the whole one and then you choose I think the best. I, I Yeah, I think uh, because I'm biased. But I I, I really think, I don't know, and I was feeling that towards the end of the movie, and I don't really know why, but I think like there's something allegory about it. There's mm -hmm. something about like inserting yourself into the plot in a way that like fairy tales give us things that are bigger than ourselves, that we can learn smaller lessons, is that's what I feel like a fairy tale is. And it is very... Uh, fantastical like power wise yeah. and i feel like your hero often is like you're the only one that can get the sword out of the stone you know and you're just like this derpy kid and i feel yeah. like science fiction it's more I, I don't know what it is but i, think science I see this fiction as fiction is fantasy. a little bit more
0: like cynical maybe science yeah. fiction as like a byproduct of like the industrial revolution mm-hmm. and i think dune dune is very fairy tale-esque and i think mm-hmm. it, there are
1: witches
0: yeah it like true love it it taps you know? on different archetypes and i think there's just something really it's really it's just different and i and i normally am not lost for words and like describing things in that capacity but i don't know how to say more about dune other than it's just like it's different it's mm-hmm. different. It hits something really different inside me and hits something really different in other people. And I think it makes me think a lot about um, my own self. I did want to, I, I didn't want to close out. Uh, one thing that I, I guess sort of, I came to Dune in like a very I'd known about yeah. Dune my my whole life. Like my my mom showed me like the David Lynch movie and my mom is that patron saint of this podcast, mm-hmm. uh like a total sci-fi fantasy nerd and read Dune and watched the David Lynch version and then showed me the David Lynch version and I was very affected by it. Never wanted to watch it ever again because it's very disturbing. I looked at the pictures. Sting in a thong was interesting. Absolutely, I mean that's the Austin Butler character. That's great. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I, it's it's gonna be really good. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I rediscovered it when the film came out, and then when I was sort of entering into a very difficult period in my life, um, and it provided me a lot of, uh, like a lot of escapism and a lot of like solace and um. And there is a quote that is repeated throughout the series that i unironically repeat to myself often when i'm experiencing like a deep bout of anxiety or uh, and i wanted to um just sort of give it to you guys oh my gosh i have to pull it up oh my gosh
1: when when i came in april how long had dune been out Dune came out in November. Okay. So it had been out for like five months, I would say. Mm-hmm. Enough for you to like have fully claimed Dune.
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> Enough to be in your Dune box.
0: Absolutely. Um. So this is a quote that Lady Jessica, the baddest bitch in the universe, our favorite character, sort of repeats to herself in a particularly... A strenuous mm. moment and it it's repeated throughout the series um i must not fear fear is the mind killer fear is the little death that brings total obliteration i will face my fear i will permit it to pass over me and through me and when it has gone past i will return the inner eye to see its path where the fear has gone there will be nothing only I will remain. The end.
1: Yeah. It was very good. It's very uh it's it speaks to me in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. No, that was like as soon as you were like, there's a quote, and I really don't remember very many things, like dialogue-wise from the no, movie. It's not a dialogue movie. It's, <laughs> it's really not, not. Like, there aren't any like fun. I did write at one point, this is not very funny. It's not
0: very funny. No, it's not. It's really not. And I feel like there was a moment where they tried to be funny and I was like, stop. No, no, no,
1: no, no. (laughs) That's why you hired all absurdly charismatic and attractive actors to keep us invested even though it's not very funny.
0: Even though it's not very funny and it's very complicated if you don't know all the deeply complicated things about the world but I the fear is the mind killer I feel like that is that's something I that that quote mm-hmm. is something I say to myself at times where it's like I'm overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and it's like the fear will pass through me and I will remain and I think that's a really beautiful true mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, a, a, a truism a, and about the human mind yeah I've been
1: waking up with a lot of fear recently, Mm. Um, just about like just the future and kind of instability in my life right now. Yeah. And so I think that is something I will meditate on.
0: Yeah. The fear will pass through me and I will remain. Fear is the mind killer fear is the mind killer is a big one fear is the mind killer i've been i've been like standing on top of like a cliff and someone's like you know trying to get someone to jump off of it Mm -hmm. this is a real the real story and i'm like fear is the mind killer fear is the mind killer fear is the mind killer and then they jump
1: what because they don't want to because they don't want their mind to be killed so they jumped off, not and you said this is a real story. No, this
0: is a real story. Like we were cliff jumping. Oh, okay. I was into water, into water, into died. water. Sorry, no, okay. into water. Oh my god, no, I'm not like murdering people.
1: And you're like, like, and my, then like I did, and I'm like dead. trying to get you to backtrack, um, Maddie. <laughs> I love you, and I think this is going to be one of the many glittering jewels in the tapestry <laughs> of, of Madeline the, Turner.
0: Of the lonely girl,
1: of the lonely girl uh, lexicon. And, and I think one of my things I love about it is I love these episodes because they didn't have to happen. I no. just know that we love you guys. And we love we, each other. And we love these things so love much. These
0: things, and I can't wait for Rebecca to have her thing. I feel like I know what that thing is. And I, I think it will be a very good episode and I'm you. excited for you guys to experience it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I am. And I'm really happy that I watched it first thing this morning. Oh my God. I know. Because I immediately wanted to like listen to interviews with the costume designers and I needed to let this information wash over me. Yes. um, I gained as little information, which is so not me. Never prepped less. Okay. I love you so much, Maddie. I love Um, you so much, Rebecca. If they
0: want to find us um, online, Um, they can find you.
1: mm -hmm. On Instagram at Rebecca Botter and on TikTok at BotterRebecca. And how, how can we find
0: you, Madeline? Oh, my gosh. They can find me at Turner Madeline on Instagram and at Madeline Turner uh-huh. on TikTok. And then they can find both of us, the podcast, all the good things at the Lonely Girls podcast on Instagram and TikTok.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Lonely Girls, we want you to remember, A, fear is the mind killer. B, mm-hmm. um, remember to stay
1: lonely, but not alone. We love you bye sweet 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 sad songs sweet sad, sad. sweet sad, songs. Sweet, sad, sad.